my pleasure to introduce the speaker this morning. Uh, we have with us Brother John Jones and his wife, Erin, and their little six-month-old daughter, Anna. Uh, John is a missionary that we support in New Zealand. Uh, he is working in Wellington, New Zealand. Uh, they have committed five years of their life to this work, and I think already it's been two years, which almost seems impossible. Um, John attended Freed Hardman University, uh, and so I want you to, he will be speaking, uh, preaching during the worship hour, and then during the Bible study hour, he will be giving an update on the work in New Zealand, so we would ask the two adult classes and the college age class to remain in the auditorium during the Bible study hour. Brother John. morning everyone it's such a blessing to be here with you today we've had um, such a great relationship with the Bobby Branch congregation here and just through the years while we were at Freed Hardeman we made really good friends with Daniel and Tyler Boyd and you might have seen us around a few times visiting them Um, but Aaron and I have had such a a, it's been such a blessing to be supported by the congregation here Uh, as you know when you send missionaries um, they're not able to go unless somebody is willing to send them And so as we've gone to New Zealand and we've been able to work there, we know that we've been in partnership with you all and with the other congregations that have been supporting us. So we're incredibly grateful for that, and um, we're really looking forward to being back just for a, we're here for a couple months, um, traveling around the United States and and meeting with those congregations that have supported us to let them know about the work that's going on, let them know about some of the things that we've been doing, and um, the encouraging um, additions that have been happening to the kingdom of God. And so when we get to the, the Bible class hour, we'll do more of a little bit of a report, talking a bit about what the, what's going on in the congregations in New Zealand. But um, this morning I wanted to challenge us. I wanted us to think about some things that we can find in the Bible that Aaron and I have really been challenged to do and to think about since we've been in New Zealand. It's a little bit different over there. Um, when we travel to go to worship, you know, there's not just a congregation on every corner. We have to go, and we're, we're with people that might have driven up to an hour and a half to two hours to come and worship with us because, you know, the, the congregations and the church are very spread thin. When we think about the, um, the society of New Zealand, we've got a very secular society, very atheistic society, and so the church is so much a family because they're trying to separate themselves from what's going on in the world. And so we're such a um, a diverse and, and wonderful, um, you know, church family there and group of people. And Aaron and I have really, really been challenged. Sometimes when you try something and you do something difficult or try something new, you come away with a perspective that you didn't have before. And so Aaron and I wanted to, um, when we came to the States, talk to people a little bit about some of the, the things that have been going on in our lives, but ultimately to wherever we go, encourage spiritual growth and to, um, to challenge the brethren and the congregations where we go. The first thing that I wanted to look at and talk about this morning, is for us to redefine where home is. It was difficult when we left um, New Zealand. At that point, we didn't have a baby. Um, so, you know, it might be a little bit more difficult to leave this time with the grandparents and everybody um, holding on to her. But when we left New Zealand, I, when we left America to head to New Zealand, I think we were singing, Anywhere with Jesus, I can safely go. We know in that song it says, Anywhere with Jesus will be home sweet home. We knew that we would find a home with the church there in New Zealand, and we have. And now, as we're coming back to make this visit, I think we're singing a different tune. I think we're saying that this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Because as we're here, we're missing people in New Zealand. But as we were in New Zealand, we were missing people there. We're missing people here. We've, we've got our hearts, I guess, in two places. And until 
all of us Christians are together in heaven with God, I suppose our hearts will be separated in those two places from around the world. Um, so we're really, really looking forward to heaven. I want to challenge you, um, whether or not you've been to foreign mission fields and made good friends from around the world, um, I want to challenge you to redefine where our home is. If you will, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. We'll start reading um, in verse 28. But we're familiar with the story of Jesus and the rich young ruler. We might do this story in vacation Bible school or in our Sunday morning Bible classes. But the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he expects Jesus to give him a pat on the back and say, you've done well. You have followed the commandments. Um, the, the, The ruler says, well, Jesus, what else do I need to do? And we know the story. There was something standing in the way of this man's relationship with his Lord. And at the end of this, I think very often Peter um, will get himself in a bit of trouble by his big mouth. Um, And so Peter says, well, that guy, he wasn't willing to follow you, Lord, but we have left everything and followed you. That that rich young ruler has so much possessions and wealth. He's he's not willing to follow you, but, but Lord, we've left everything. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Many people have asked us, what is it like to to leave your home, to leave the food that you're used to, to leave the the culture that you're used to? Um, You know, we haven't been saying our our favorite words like y'all when we're in New Zealand. Things have had to, had to change a little bit when it comes to the way that we talk. They do speak English, but it's a lot different. People have asked, you, you guys must have really given up a lot. Well, first off, I say, I think our parents might have might at this point be giving up more than we are since they're away from their, their granddaughter. But when we look at this passage, I think it is incredibly true. For, for those of you um, that have been around the world and seen the different congregations and made friends with people in different cultures, you know that you have a church family anywhere that you go in the world, and it's so encouraging to know that you can go halfway around the world and have a place to stay, someone to feed you, and then a group of people to worship with on the first day of the week. When, when we think about this, we have a church family that has been such a, a blessing to us, and we know that we won't be able to be together with all of those people until we get to heaven. So we're, we're redefining our home as in heaven. Our scripture reading this morning was from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 6-9. through 9. The young man read, so we are always of good courage. We know that we are at home in the body. We are, while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And what does Paul say here? I wonder if this is something we would be able to say about ourselves. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I think that's difficult to say because all we've ever experienced is being in the body. But Paul says we would rather be at home in heaven because we trust in the promises of God that heaven is going to be so wonderful. And so great, much, much better than anything we've ever experienced here on earth. In verse 9, he says, whether we, at, we are at home, he's not talking about the house that he lives in. He's not talking about the place where he feels comfortable. He's talking about one day, the fact that he will be in heaven. He says, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Whether we're in the body, whether we're in McMinnville, whether we're in Wellington or Porirua, New Zealand, we will keep working hard trying to please God because we know that all of us one day If we continue working and if we continue trying to please God, we'll be with him in heaven. And that really is our true home. I want to challenge us to start thinking in that way. The second thing I'd like to challenge you to do is to do something difficult for God. And the reason that I say this, um, Aaron and I, 
we're trying our very best. You know, we lived in Dyersburg, Tennessee for a while. We would, you know, go out and try to study the Bible with people. And in Dyersburg, Tennessee, there's a lot of Baptists, there's a lot of Methodists, there's a lot of different denominational Christians. When we got to New Zealand, we found a different story altogether. We would do a little bit of door knocking, and one door would be an atheist who was very well-versed in um, Charles Darwin and Richard Dawkins and these kind of individuals. The very next door would be a Hindu person who would worship Krishna. The very next door might be a Buddhist who has a, a Buddha statue and who um, you know, follows the teachings of Buddha. The very next door might be an agnostic who's never even really thought about these things before. And so we felt like we were doing mental gymnastics every time we went out door knocking because we, we just had to be on our toes for all of these different, all these different subjects. We wanted to reach out for Christ to all these individuals. And so what it caused us to do is to go home and to do a lot more studying. I need to be better prepared to talk to Buddhists. I don't run into too many Hindus in Dyersburg, Tennessee, but here in New Zealand with such a, a culturally diverse population, you know, I've got to be prepared to do that. And so when we went there, we were very, very much challenged. But I think in the past two years, we've had more spiritual growth in our lives than we ever have before. But it was because of those challenges. So I want to challenge you to do something difficult for God. When we look in James chapter 1, reading verse 2 through 4, I think sometimes we read this passage and we're thinking about maybe a loss in the family or maybe some sickness or that we're going through or some kind of difficulty at work. But when we think about the early Christians, there were many things they were going through that were, were challenges that would actually help them and make them better for their faith. James 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When was the last time you allowed yourself to be tested in your faith? If you want to be a professional athlete, you don't just do things that are comfortable. You do things that will challenge you and prepare you for the, for the next level of athletics. When we think about being a Christian, for us to be the kind of Christian that God desires us to be, that we might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, we need to do some things that will challenge us, that will be a little bit difficult, but at the end of it, we'll feel, um, we'll feel very fulfilled for the hard work that we've done. If we turn over to Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, we would see that Jesus gives a very difficult challenge, and I've struggled with this challenge before. It says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I know God, uh, as far as I can read in the Bible, is very much different than myself. I know the mistakes that I've made, and I, it's hard for me to say, to ever be able to say that I am perfect, just as God is perfect. But I think Paul gives us a, a bit of an understanding of this when we go to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. In Philippians 3, we'll read 12 through 14. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this, speaking of the resurrection of the dead, or that I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The reason that we do what we do is not because of how great we are or how perfect we are, but the fact that Jesus has made us his own. And because of that, we try very hard and we, we reach forward to try to be perfect like Jesus. In verse 13, he says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made this my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I think that goes back to our first point. Are we looking forward to that home in heaven? Or have we become comfortable in the situation that we're in now? And if we've done that, I want to challenge us to maybe do something that will, will test our faith, something that will be, be challenging for us, and at the end of that, I think we'll come through and be stronger Christians for it. I want us to remember the value of the church. Now, whenever I was in... Um, living in Dyersburg, Tennessee, there was probably about 
five or six different congregations that we could go to on any given Sunday and, and worship with them. And we had friends in each of these different congregations. And it was such a blessing to be able to run into a Christian at Kroger or to, um, you know, to go in, into your workplace and have two or three people of the same faith. It's not necessarily like that in New Zealand. And we have really been challenged with the fact that the church is incredibly, incredibly valuable. When we think about the value of the church, I want us to think about three different facets. The church is the kingdom of God. I want us to remember how valuable the church is as the kingdom of God. If we turn our Bibles to Revelation chapter 1 and start at the end of verse 5 and read into verse 6, it says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to, be, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If we remember the original context of the book of Revelation, the kingdom of Rome was exerting its force and its power onto the Christians by persecuting them. And Jesus, through the apostle John, tells them, we have been made into a kingdom of priests. God has taken us from all over the world and made us as a kingdom. As you'll see in our presentation, we've got about 12 different nationalities represented in our congregation. Very small congregation, but many, many different um, ethnicities, many different um, cultures represented. And I want to talk to you, just tell you a little bit about some of my friends here in the picture. On the left is Grant and Kate Zhao, who have left China so that they could come and to, to, to somewhere where they could freely and openly practice their faith and to grow in their faith. Now, they were reached through something um, like the China Now program, where people will go and teach English in China, but undercover will be trying to teach the gospel as well. And so as they learned English, they started learning the gospel, and they decided they wanted to be Christians. So they came to New Zealand so they could raise a family. And Grant has left China and realizes he'll probably never be able to go back. His father is a communist leader in the area that they lived in. And he knows that his choice to become a Christian has really separated him from his family, separated him from his nationality of being Chinese. And so he has a kingdom, he has a nation of people to belong to now. But when we look at them, they all look different. They're all different colors. They're all from different backgrounds. But it's because they're a part of the kingdom of God. We look to the right, there's um, a cute little baby, that's Anna, um, and two Cambodian ladies. They were refugees from Cambodia. If you know much about the history of the Khmer Rouge back in the 70s, these, uh, you know, the Cambodians had it pretty difficult because of the, uh, the, the terrible things that were going on with the Emperor Pol Pot and things like that. But anyways, these ladies um, were refugees, and we started studying English with them, and now they're seriously considering being a part of the kingdom of God. As we were studying with them, talking to them, they said, you know, we'll never really be able to go back to Cambodia. We can go back and visit our families, but the infrastructure there is so corrupt and crooked, we couldn't go back and live the type of life that we're able to live here in New Zealand. And we talked about the kingdom of God, how the kingdom, how the church is a group of people from all over the world uh, with, with different backgrounds, but we all have the same goal, working together striving to teach other people about the gospel, and they were incredibly impressed by that, the fact that they could still be a part of a kingdom, a group of people. And we'll talk a little bit more about them um, later. When we think about the kingdom of God, I think we're familiar with Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. This is something that should really, really encourage us as Christians. In Colossians 1, 13, Paul writes, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Many of the denominations teach that the kingdom of God has not yet come to the earth. When we look to the scripture, Jesus and John the Baptist both said the kingdom of God is at hand. 
And then when we see in the early church, especially in Acts chapter 2, what was it that the Christians were being added to? They were being added to the kingdom. And this passage specifically tells us that as Christians, we have already been added to the kingdom of God. And it says in this kingdom in verse 14, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is a place where all people can be together and can be God's chosen people as the kingdom of God. Let's really value the church for what it is. The church is also the foundation or the pillar or the buttress of the truth, depending on the translation you're using. Please turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. Paul writes to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and foundation of the truth. We look to these ladies in the pictures. Um, I don't have a... A picture yet of Mana, the girl who's being baptized, because um, she was baptized about five days before we got on the plane um, to come on this trip. But when we look, this girl on the left is named Dora. She is, I think, about 26, 27. She's a school teacher in Porirua. And when we, we first knocked on Dora's cousin's door, I think it was Daniel Boyd that knocked on the door. Daniel Boyd and another girl um, that had that had come on the campaign. They knocked on this lady's door, and she was interested in studying the Bible. Um, because she had always had religious questions. She had been going to church. It was a part of her family's culture, but, you know, they never really answered the questions that she had. And so uh, we went along and had our first Bible study, and the second Bible study, she invited four friends. And so in the second Bible study, one of those friends that came was named Dora. And this girl was a challenge. She had questions. She had, um, you know, complaint, I guess complaints about the, the place that she was um, worshiping. It was a, a Presbyterian congregation. And so we started getting into the Bible, and she, I've never really seen anybody dig into the Scripture as much as Dora did. Um, she got in there and said, These are, this is what I've been wanting to find. I've had questions for my whole life, and you know what? The Bible is answering those questions. I've wanted to know this. I've asked everyone around, and no one's given me what I've wanted to hear, but now I'm able to find it and see it for myself. It's not that we were incredible teachers or anything. We were just making the Bible plain and clear and saying, you can understand the Bible for yourself. And so as we did this, Dora became a Christian, and now Dora is teaching her friends. She got a hold of that book, Muscle and a Shovel. Um, we, before we knew what she was doing, she, she had already bought ten copies and paid for them and paid for the shipping all the way from the States to New Zealand, and had started a book club with her friends, and they're all reading that and going through it chapter by chapter. And she's also um, picked up some Bible studies that Aaron and I have had to drop off since we're here, and she's continuing with those ladies and teaching them the gospel. This girl named Mana um, was the, the pastor's daughter, still is the pastor's daughter of the, the church where Dora attended. And now she's become a Christian. She's been baptized into Christ. And she's having a really difficult time at home now, as you would imagine. But Dora has said that she'd be willing to um, have Mana come live with her. And they are working together to try to follow the truth. And that is such a powerful thing because there's so much religious confusion and division out there in the world that when we are able to show someone the scripture and able to show them the truth for the first time, the people that are searching are the ones that are going to latch onto it and, and really um, soak it up. But when we think about en um, enjoying the church and valuing the church for what it is, we need to remember the church is the foundation of the truth. When somebody talks about the church of Christ, sometimes I think very ideally about a, um, a group of people. I think about heaven. I think about those things. But when we look to the scriptures, Paul describes the church as a body, and every one of us is a member of that body. And we all need to be functioning and acting in the way that we need to. And so when we go out into the community, we, as an individual, 
member of the body of Christ, we are the ones that should be upholding the truth. It's so very important that we do that, not only in our actions and the way that we live, but also in the things that are being taught. There's so much religious error and doctrinal differences that are out there that are so contrary to the scripture that people are being led down the wrong road. I'm sure we're familiar with Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, but Jesus says, on that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, uh, but they will not enter the kingdom of heaven because they did not do the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name and prophesy in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And Jesus said, Jesus will say, I'm away from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. And that passage has always been very frightening to me because there's a group of people on the judgment day who will claim that Jesus is Lord. They'll claim that they did good things for him in his name. And what is Jesus going to say to them? going to say, I never knew you. Well, I think Jesus is Lord. I think I've been doing some good things for Jesus. But what is it in the passage that, they, that Jesus says they need to be doing? They need to be doing the will of the Father. So we need to know our Bibles. We need to be able to teach people what the truth is so that they don't find themselves in that group of people on the judgment day who think they know Jesus and think that they've been doing the right things. We need to make sure that they have been immersed into Christ and that they are worshiping in a way that is pleasing to him. And there's so many in our community here and so many in New Zealand as well that think that they will be in heaven one day, but they're not actually following what the Bible teaches. The church is the foundation of the truth, and each one of us needs to go out there and be building up that foundation. I want us to value the church as the family of God. Ephesians 2.19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. If you look into the context of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is talking about the fact that Jews and Gentiles, without Jesus, would have had no connection with each other at all. But because of Christ, they are able to join together and be one group of people, a household of God, the family of God. Because of what Jesus did, abolishing the laws of ordinances and bringing those two groups together through the blood of the cross. When we think about all of us, if it weren't for Christ, some of us wouldn't have very much to do with each other at all. We wouldn't know anything about one another, but because of Jesus and because of that bond, we have been brought together into a family. As I said in New Zealand, the society is so very secular that the church needs to be strong and needs to be together and and working together. One of the first things that really interested us in going to New Zealand was that we went on a campaign with Kevin Moore back in, I think, 2010. And when we, we, were, we were knocking doors all day, and everybody that wasn't either at work or watching children was out there knocking doors with us, all these people in the congregation. And I was thinking, man, this is, this is really great, seeing all these people out here working for a common goal. And then at night, you know, all those people who were at work and were watching children, we'd all get together and have a big meal. And I felt more than I'd ever felt before the family of God in action. And I want to encourage us to remember that the church is the family of God. If we've got people around us who we know are struggling, we're on the same road to heaven. We need to help them. We need to, to pick them up. If we know somebody's sick, we need to take care of them. And I know so many of us are, are so good in our hospitality, but we, we can really, really be challenged by the fact that the church is the family of God and we are one another, brothers and sisters, because God is our Father. Let's go over to Luke chapter 8. It's very interesting. Um, one, of the, one of the cultures that we work with very much is the Pacific Island culture, people from Samoa or people from Fiji or the Cook Islands, um, even the Maori culture in New Zealand. And I'd say even more than faith in that culture, the very most important facet of morals is being true to your family. 
And so we've had to work with people who have come out of that culture and come into the church, and they might have a family function going on on Sunday, and they're very, very hard-pressed to figure out, oh, should I go to church or should I go to my family function? Because the culture is telling them family is first. Family is first. And I think sometimes we might be, um, you know, led down that road as well. Family is so very important. It's a blessing from God, but we know that God needs to be first. The church family needs to be first. And so we've, we've studied with these individuals this passage Let's go to, um, I think we said Luke 8, and we'll start in verse 19. It says, Then Jesus' mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And Jesus was told, Your mother and brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you. And Jesus answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the will of God and do it. I think that might be very, very difficult for those of that culture to hear that. That what is more important than blood? When you say, you know, blood runs thicker than water. Well, Jesus' blood runs thicker than human relationships. Jesus' blood runs thicker than kin. And so these individuals have had to make a big sacrifice for that, that cultural value of keeping family first to put the family of God first. Looking at these two pictures on the screen, on the left is a, a man named Sean. And by Sean's own admission, he made some bad choices in his life that caused his family to leave him. His wife left him. His daughter won't have anything to do with him. And he started reevaluating his life. He got one of some of our materials, and he ended up coming to a lecture that we were having about the existence of God. And ever since then, he's been at every everything that he can he can get to, so he can keep learning. But it was really interesting as we were studying with Sean. Just out of the blue, the guy's 45 years old, lost his hearing. Not really sure what happened. The doctors are still trying to figure out what happened. But we thought, well, he's lost his hearing. But we're halfway through these studies. We need to keep him going. So Sean would talk to us. And we would type to him. He didn't know any sign language. Uh, we didn't either. So we would, we would type to him. He would talk to us. And eventually, um, a few weeks later, it took a bit longer to study with that handicap. But Sean was baptized into Christ. Now, Sean, not having a physical family um, that will have anything to do with him, not even being able to hear. Sean, someone who feels very, very alone in the world at that point, was able to come into a family of God and to be a part of the church. And Sean values that so much because of the fact that he was so separated from everyone and now he's a part of a family. And at this point now he's even trying to reconcile with his wife and with his daughter so that he can teach them about the gospel. Um, it's, it's interesting hearing Sean sing. He always finishes before us, way before us, or finishes way after us. But it's very beautiful because we, he knows that even though he can't hear, he is supposed to be singing to God so that he can be um, worshiping, worshiping him in the proper way. On the right is a man named Peja. Uh, Peja is a very good friend of mine. Um, Peja came to Christ because he was lo- he was searching. It's really we go out knocking doors every day trying to find people that are interested in the Bible studies. We get a call on the phone from this guy, and he said, "I found your website. You guys are the New Testament Church, and I need to be baptized." And man, I wish we had more people just calling up like that. It would make things pretty easy. But Peja is a very special individual. Now, Peja doing this study and research on his own has come to the conclusion that the New Testament church is a pattern that needs to be followed. The problem is his family did not come to that same conclusion. Page has six children, a wife, and a, uh, a mother-in-law and a father-in-law that, are, that all live um, close nearby. And the problem is they're Baptists. They're following very Calvinistic doctrine. And Page, when he decided to join the Church of Christ, they condemned him and said, you're joining a cult. Haven't you seen all this stuff online, the fact that those people are a cult? You know, this, all this nonsense. And, and Peja has really found a family in the church whenever his own family has kind of kicked him aside and said, you're crazy. What are, you know, what are you doing? 
don't you know that you don't need to be baptized? Well, Peter said, yes, I do, because that's what the Bible says. And so these two individuals with very different backgrounds have both found a, a family when it comes to the church. Aaron and I have been incredibly blessed, and we know that the blessing that we've been able to have these challenges and be in New Zealand in the first place is because wonderful, great, um, gracious people like you have been willing to send us there to do that work. Don't forget whenever someone comes and does mission, a mission talk or you think about a missionary, that they wouldn't be able to do what they're doing if it wasn't for the people that was sending them to be there. But I do want us, no, no matter where we are, I want us to be challenged in our faith because Jesus wants us to grow. If you have an opportunity later this week, look in um, Hebrews chapter 5, the end of the chapter, and then starting in, in chapter 6, what the writer of Hebrews says to the individuals who have been Christians for a while but haven't been growing. Now, we are expected to continue growing. Whether we first become a Christian last week and we're, we're still learning and we're still new, or whether we've been an elder for 20 years, we still need to be growing in our faith because we're still trying to attain that perfection that our Heavenly Father has. Just a review of what we've, some of those challenges of, for growth. We need to redefine where home is. We need to sing and really mean it that this world is not my home. I'm just passing through to heaven and I'm looking forward to being there with the saints that are here in Bobby Branch and the saints also that are in Porirua, New Zealand. I want to challenge us to do something difficult for God. Let's step out of our comfort zone a little bit and make ourselves a little bit uncomfortable, but when we're able to do that, God will take us and use us for his glory. Let's also remember the value of the church. Let's not ever forget or underestimate the value of the church. We are the kingdom of God. We are the foundation for the truth. We're also the family of God. Now, if you're not a part of that, you need to be a part of that. In Ephesians 5.22, it's that Jesus, uh, well, Ephesians 5.22 and 23, Jesus is called the Savior of the body, the Savior of the church. What does a Savior do? Well, a Savior saves. So Jesus came to save the church. If we're not a part of that, then we will be outside of the group that Jesus is saving. In 1 Corinthians 12.13, it says, We've all been baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks. So we've been added into the church by baptism. That is the, the consummation of faith. We need to know that we need to believe in Christ. We, we need to hear that message, which if you're here today, you're hearing it. We need to hear the message. We need to repent from our sins and turn away from what the world says is okay, but what Jesus says is not all right. We need to confess Jesus as our Lord, and we need to be baptized into that saving body of Christ. If you haven't done that, there's an opportunity to do that today. If you need anything at all, whether it be prayers of the church or, or physical needs met, please come as we stand and sing this invitation song.